You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Hey, if you're excited to be here, say amen. Amen. I'm excited too. I had a lot of coffee this morning. Ooh, man, my mustache is itchy. We're just getting wild. Uh, hey, this morning I thought, because it's been a good series, we've been in this Pursuit series, um, I thought I would teach you something really special this morning. You ready for that? All right, I'm going to teach you how to sneak backstage. Okay, how many of you have ever had like a VIP backstage pass to a concert before? Okay, great. So for the rest of us, here's what you got to do. Okay, so I, I grew up playing music, going to shows, uh, and I'm enough confident to get me in places. Uh, and so th- let me just give you all the access tips here. Okay, if you're taking notes, this is going to be the most spiritual thing you hear in the whole sermon, so write this down. First, get there early. You're late, you're not getting in. You're going to be one of 25 other hipsters trying to get this dude's autograph on your felt fedora. They're not going to let you in. This is how it works. Get there early. you got to get there early. you got to be a part of what is happening. You should just be early in life anyways. It's good for you. But get there early, and then here's the important part. Listen, don't talk. No one cares who you know cousin of the cousin of the guy who did sound in 1984 for the Stones. No one cares. Here's, here's the thing. You got to listen, don't talk. Listen, listen, listen. Here's what you're listening for. There is always a gatekeeper in every concert. And if you don't have the credentials, then you got to be convincing. And so you got to get through the gatekeeper who's going to keep you. So you need to find out one of two things. What that gatekeeper loves Or, this works too, what that gatekeeper hates. Because if you can bond with them on either of those things, if they love Quiznos, you know, hook them up. If they hate hipsters, well, then hopefully you didn't wear skinny jeans because you're going to have to bond on that. And you got to bond with the gatekeeper if you want access. If you don't got credentials, you got to bond with the gatekeeper. And so here's what happens. You have to confidently bond with the gatekeeper. Now, the gatekeeper is usually a security guy named Randy, and he's getting paid $100 to work for three days, 12 hours a day. He doesn't know this band. He doesn't like this band. This band means nothing to him. It was, I was working at the bar, and then I came here, and I'm working this show. Doesn't care. It might be Taylor Swift. He does not know her catalog. He did not buy the deluxe versions, and he, d- he doesn't know. I know you're devastated, and that's fine, but he doesn't know. You got to bond on something. Usually, it's food or other things. Um, and so you got to bond with them to get in. Once you get through the gatekeeper, here's the key. you got to be confident but not arrogant. Okay, so once you've gotten through the gatekeeper, everyone with me, you've now gotten backstage. Everything inside of you is trying to, like, move closer to whatever music group you're into. Maybe it's the Rolling Stones. Maybe it's Taylor Swift. Maybe it's some person that I don't know, but it's really cool, and we, I can just pretend that I know them later, so I feel relevant. But whoever it is, you're trying to get close to them. And so you got to be confident but not arrogant because you have, if you ask arrogant, you're going to stand out. I've sat in enough green rooms to know the people that come in and try to act like they know everything. And you're like, who, who, who are you with? No, nah, man, you're out. Like, go. We don't want you. <laughs> and I wasn't in a good band. So if, if this is a solid group, they're going to bump you if you're confident if you're arrogant but not just confident. So once you're there, here's what you have to do. You have to find credentials. Once you are in, 
the backstage, you have to find credentials because some sound guy, they, they're the guys wearing all black. They have left their lanyard because they hate how it feels on their neck. They have left it somewhere. You need to find the lanyard, put it on. It is now yours. You have had this since Terry gave it to you six and a half years ago when you guys were doing that show up in Cleveland, and you've been with it the whole time, right? you got to own it. That's not lying. I didn't just tell you to lie. I'm just saying, you know, like elaborate and just just own this space because you got to find the credentials. you got to find the all-access pass. Everywhere has this. If you go to Disneyland, you need a pass, right? If you want to, like, go somewhere really cool in Disneyland, you need a really good pass. That's how it works. Where, like, I went to Disneyland, and I didn't realize there's 12 million kinds of passes, and you need apps, and you need just all kinds of things. I'm just like, where's Goofy? Like, I don't care about any of this. Like, no, you need the Uber jump pass that bumps you to the back of the front of the back of the line for Studio 28 so that you can get behind it and get into the princess lair and then ride Magic Mountain. I don't know. It's out of control, y'all. Disney is just wild. But this is like you got to find a pass. you got to get the credentials, right? And a lot of life is like that, right? If you want to get into some apartments, you got to have, like, the card that scans. And, or you got to have the code, right? you got to have the credentials to get in. There's just all that in life. It doesn't matter if it's a band. It doesn't matter. The, the key in sneaking backstage, but the key to a lot of life is getting the credentials. And I think sometimes it's really obvious. You're like, oh, yeah, the credential is money. Like, that's, that's what it is. Sometimes it's a little more invisible. But can I tell you that as much as uh, in life or in music or in movies or in whatever, you got to have the pass or the credential or that all-access VIP pass if you really want to talk to somebody, right? If you really want to, like, talk to the person uh, who's in the band who wrote the lyrics, if you really want to talk to the director, if you really want to, like, really talk to Mickey Mouse, like, you need the pass. You need the all-access pass. But this is what I love about the kingdom of God is that, Everybody has an all-access pass to the kingdom of God. You all have an all-access pass to the kingdom of God. This is what is so crazy because the kingdom of God is still better than any concert or Disneyland. It's better than anything you could imagine. It's like the kingdom of God. To God himself, he has given you an all-access pass. Jesus has pursued you. We talked about that in week one. Go back, listen to the podcast. The Holy Spirit has begun to stir you. We talked about that last week. And what we're looking at this week is that not only has Jesus pursued you and the Holy Spirit has stirred you, but God is inviting you. Is that you have an all-access pass to salvation and celebration. Somebody say celebration. Somebody say it, celebration, like, like you're celebrating the greatest thing. Celebration. There we go. We're stirring it up. I love that. Is that in the kingdom, you have an all-access pass to salvation and celebration. See, when Jesus died for you, when Jesus died for me, he brought us in as sons and daughters. We have a sonship. We have an access to him. It's what we were created for. So it's not like you get adopted in, you got to go for a little while, and then you get like the pass. And when you get the pass, then you go behind and you see like the Walt Disney of heaven. Right? You got access to God right off the beginning because when God died for you, when Jesus came and died for you and he rose again, he said, you have access. And so this morning, our scripture is all about access. 
It's all about credentials. We've been in this uh, pursuit series in Luke 15, and we're finally on our last uh, part of Luke 15. Have you enjoyed this series so far? We've had 11 people give their lives to the Lord since we started this, and I'm believing for more. Again, that's, that's just what the Lord wants to do. Because some of you were here this morning, your friend brought you, they didn't tell you there'd be so much singing, and that's fine. You can argue about that later on the way home. But God wants to do a miracle in your life today. If you would open your heart, I believe he could do a miracle in your life. But we're going to read a scripture, Luke 15, probably one of the most famous scriptures that inspired everything from uh, ballets, opera, Shakespeare plays, Hank Williams, country songs, I mean everything. The, the, the thing about this passage of scripture, though, is that it always focuses on the prodigal son. It always focuses on the younger brother. But let me tell you, there are two brothers in this story. The great irony in just focusing on the prodigal is it forgets the older brother, which is his whole beef to begin with. But there's something special that's happening here uh, that, that has inspired so many people. And so I want to read this uh, chunk of scripture together, starting in Luke 15, verse 11, and we'll kind of elaborate as we go. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Luke 15, 11. If you brought your Bibles, crack them open. If not, it'll be up here. It says, and he said, that's Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. So the younger son has an inheritance. Every son has an inheritance. And in the tradition, again, Jesus is talking to a group. This is a parable. He's not recounting history. He's using a story to teach. So he's saying there's a younger son. And at the time, younger sons would get a third of the inheritance. Older sons would get two-thirds. Younger sons would get a third unless, follow me, they had sisters uh, or other sons. And so this last third was, like, divided up amongst everyone else. So in this deal, older brother hands down makes out like a bandit because neither of them have earned any of this. But the younger brother gets a third except what has to be saved for the dowries if they have sisters to, to pay out. And so the younger son in this example takes the money or takes the land that has been divided up and he cashes out on it, sells it, and takes it and squanders it on reckless living, which will be um, defined later. But squanders it with reckless living. And here's what it says in verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. It doesn't say he ate with the pigs ate. He just really wanted it. Okay, this is, again, a, a visual example as Jesus is speaking to a Jewish, predominantly Jewish population, and here's what he's saying. The Jewish people thought that pigs were really unclean, and they were commanded not to eat them. And so this uh, son, as Jesus is explaining to his Jewish crowd, they would have been like, oh, 
like shocked, like, oh my gosh. Like he's working in like the lowest of low, like feeding and working with pigs. And so it's meant to create this image of being very unclean, very low in stature, very untouchable, very unwanted, so low that he thinks, man, I should just eat some of these pods that fall from trees. I should just eat some of those. But it says no one gave him anything. So in this moment, Jesus is painting a picture of a son who is literally at rock bottom. That rock bottom just happens to be full of mud and other pig junk. And so this kid is so low. So here's what it says happens. Verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? says he came to himself or came to his senses. This is a Hebrew or Aramaic expression for repent. So he repented. It's, it's, it's this defined idea of not only was there mental repentance of like, I need to be transformed and renewed in my mind, but there was a moral renewal involving repentance. He literally, literally was going one way, was like, oh my gosh, and turned and went the other way. So verse 19, or 18, says, I will arise and go to my father. Here's his plan. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. This is probably one of the coolest parts right here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So while the son was still a long way off, the father's anticipating him to come back. And so what does he do? He throws off all uh, convention of the day and age, and he runs to his son, which would have been a total cultural no-no, to like run out as the head of the household, as this mighty figure, to just run and look so, I mean, he, that literally, he would have looked dumb. That was their point. Like, I oh, he looks so foolish and so stupid. But here he is just running to his son. And it says it embraced him. It literally means he draped around his neck. That's like the full-on hug that you give your kid when you're trying to emb- embarrass them outside of school. That's like the full-on, like, Argh! like, it's everything. He got him, like, around the neck. He's hugging him. He's kissing him. He's showing affection to this kid, to this kid who stinks like dirty old pigs. Here's this man dressed in his finery, and he's wrapping him around, and then look what happens. It says, and the son said to him, because he practiced this, remember, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Okay, right here, he's got more. Did you ever do this as a kid? You like, you did something wrong, so you kind of pre-prep your speech before your parents. You're like, yeah, so we were playing, and I, I told them it was a bad idea to try to, try to jump the car, but <laughs> I figured it was fine, and you love me, and I'm your son, and you know what I mean, like these things, like you pre-prep. So he had pre-prepped this whole thing. But what I love is that the father, when he sees the repentant heart of the son, just cuts him off. He's like, I don't need to hear I don't need to hear this. I see your heart. And here's what the father does. The father is like, yeah, great. Okay, servants, quickly, bring quickly the best robe, verse 22, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. It's interesting, we have this phrase like, not all who wander are lost. Well, in this case, not only are they lost, but they're super dead. 
And not only are they dead, but metaphorically for us, it means dead in sin. He's saying, listen, this son of mine was so gone that it was as if he were dead to me. Not as in I said, you're dead to me, but as if I was grieving the loss of someone near to me. And there's this beautiful moment of embrace, this beautiful moment of unity, but it's not the end of the story. And that's why I think it's so important, because Jesus hasn't even hit the punchline yet. Look, verse 25, it says, now his older son, let's not forget about him. He was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So, I mean, like, party, party. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. Because if you showed up to your house and there was random music and dancing and you were not invited, you might be surprised. And he said, the servant said, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, meaning the brother, was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. Look at this moment. The brother is so angry that he's killed the fattened calf and invited this stray brother of his back that he refuses to go in. But what's interesting to me about this parable is though there's times where Jesus is very, very like heavy-handed towards the Pharisees. In this moment, as he's teaching, it's very gracious on both sides. Because God is gracious. And God always welcomes. And God always receives a repentant heart. And, and so in this moment, the father comes out. And even to the brother, he begins to entreat him, which means he begins to invite and encourage and, and, and say, come on, come into the party. But the brother's brother is angry. The brother is frustrated. So look how he speaks. He says, verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured, look how he throws it in his face, like, not my brother, this is your son, when son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Let me, let me get at you with this. Dad, I've been working for the family business for 10 years. You haven't bought me a Happy Meal. This weird brother of mine comes around. You bought him a Ruth Chris steak day one in a mariachi band. What is the deal? <laughs> He's angry. He says, this son of yours but look what the father does. I, I love the father. He says to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Look who he throws it back to. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Your brother that was dead is alive brother says, listen, he squandered his inheritance. Dad says, what does that have to do with your inheritance? I, you didn't give you inheritance. I gave you inheritance. Yeah, you've been with me. You've had it the whole time. Don't get mad that you've been safe. I'm sure he'd trade you. But there's things we don't know in this moment. We don't know if the older brother ever went inside because it's just a parable. It's not retelling history. It's for teaching. And so every time you read a parable, it's important to ask not just like, oh, that's good. Yeah. It's important to say, what is Jesus trying to say? What is Jesus trying to teach? And if we go back to the beginning when we started this series, we see in Luke 15, 1, it says this. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. If you've missed the past two weeks, let me sum it up for you. Jesus was teaching what it means to follow him, and in classic fashion, he said, this is what it takes, and all the really religious people that, decide, that thought they decided what it takes said, ooh, I, I do not like that, and all of the people who desperately needed Christ in their life, who were considered unclean, unwanted, undesirables, untouchables, were like, that sounds awesome. And they all drew near to God. And they all drew close to him. And they all drew into his presence. And as that happened, all the Pharisees felt bad. They didn't like that. They were like, no, that's not how that works. So they begin to grumble and complain as hyper-religious people do. And so since they were mad, Jesus begins to teach them in this parable. In each parable, we've seen him teach things. But he's teaching something very specific here. And it starts with this. If you're writing notes, write this down. It's that your credentials come from God. I agree, Gillian. The whole parable starts with the inheritance that the brothers receive. And it hinges on the grace that they both receive. See, the Father has the power and the authority and the credentials. See, the brothers didn't give themselves inheritance. Who gave them inheritance? The Father. The Father has the power. The Father has the authority. The Father has the credentials. He's who gives them out. And so what we've been talking about for three weeks is that he has sought you, he has marked you with his image, and that he has given you credentials. And not credentials of a slave, not credentials of a servant, but credentials of a son and daughter of the Most High God. I'm going to say that like 12 more times at the end of the sermon, and, and, and we'll get it together. But hear me, Romans 8 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's an intimate cry. It'd be like saying, uh, as weird as it might sound for me to say, like, Daddy, God. It, it's intimate. It's as a child would say. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, get this, then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here's what I love about God. No one gets to revoke your credentials if you're a child of God. When your dad owns the universe, you're adopted into a pretty mighty adoption. Right, like you remember that when you were a kid, like my dad could beat up your dad. Well, listen, Kyle's dad cannot take your spiritual father. He cannot hang. He cannot make it happen. The people that are speaking against you that tell you you cannot have access, your dad can beat them all up. The guy that God made the universe with his mouth, he can definitely beat up Kyle's dad. Here's the deal. All kidding aside, if God gives you credentials, no one can revoke them. You don't have credentials of a servant. You have credentials of a son or a daughter. And the religious people, they were so confused because they're like, we thought we decided who had credentials and who didn't. Like, it was based on, like, the laws and the rules and the birthright and the nationality. And so Jesus says, no, you got your credentials from God, and the same God has given everybody else their credentials. And apparently, the most messed up, broken, unclean, unwanted, mistake-ridden people still have the God Almighty chase them down and wrap his arms around them and kiss them on the face and embrace them and love on them and encourage them. It, there's no qualifiers. It's like both get it. And so if God gave you credentials, you have access. You have access to his love. 
You have access to him. You have access to the spirit. You have access to the power. It's a relationship. Say, well, I don't know if I'm worthy to have credentials. Well, good news. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you so that through him you could become the righteousness of God. So that when God looks at you, he does not see your mess. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're covered. And you're brought in. And you're made righteous because he's righteous. And so you have credentials. It doesn't matter how lost you are. In fact, what we see in Jesus, it's the lost. It's us who, who have been in the darkness who when we see the light are like, yes, please. And it's those who it would seem the, make the most sense to press in. They're like, I don't know if that fits in my box. And yet God is saying, listen, I've given you credentials. And most importantly, the response to this. Here's the thing. When someone who is lost comes into the light, the response to salvation is always celebration. See, the brother is confused and the religious people are confused. They're like, what have the unclean done to merit such a celebration? Honestly, what has this crazy, like, money-wasting, prostitute-loving, no-good dog of a brother of mine ever done to deserve a party with good food, with music, and dancing? What has he literally ever done to deserve this? The Father says it's not about what he's done. It's not about what you've done. It's about who he is. The celebration is not because you've done the right thing. It's because you are the right thing. And that thing is a son and daughter of the most high God. And what's cool is that restoration into the kingdom is not to servanthood in the sense that was meant in this parable, meaning to be a second-class citizen. It's to sonship. It's a full restoration. Luke 15, we see in that moment, he begins in verse 18 to, to think through, okay, Father, just receive me back as a servant, and I'll serve, and I'll just, like, earn my way back in. I'll earn my way back into the kingdom. I'll earn my way back into the home. And yet in verse 22, look at, the Father goes, no, 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 enough of that. Let's bring the robe. That's royalty. Let's bring the ring. That means you got a signet, and you're stamped, right? Let's bring some sandals. See, servants didn't wear sandals, but rich people did. They get the sandals on the feet, get them ready to go, get the calf, right? He's not restoring them as a servant. He's restoring them as a son. Because the response to salvation is always celebration. When we come before God and return to the beauty of fellowship with him, there is not a beating. There is not judgment. There is not scorn. There is only welcome. Jesus already took the beating. He took it to the cross for you. Jesus already took the scorn. He took it to the cross for you. Jesus already took the judgment. He took it to the cross for you. There is no scorn. There is no beating. There is no judgment. There is just celebration. And each of these parables, when you and I as the lost, when we were one out of a hundred, you know what they did when they found us? Celebrated. When we were one out of ten in the parable of the coins, you know what they did when they found us? They celebrated. You know, when we were one of the two, you know what they did when they saw us down the road? They ran and they celebrated. Salvation is always celebration. But we worry about coming to God with our broken hearts because we kind of feel like we need to be punished more. You ever feel that? I feel like sometimes the church has maybe let us down a little bit on that. It's like, we're like, yeah, I know you've repented, but if you just, like, didn't serve for four weeks, that would really prove that you were with us. Now, I'm, I'm about integrity and leading with integrity from the platform and all these things, but I think it's garbage that we just push people aside until they've, like, earned their way back in. But I just don't see Jesus do that, at least not in my Bible. 
And there's something beautiful that happens because too often we miss the celebration because we still feel like we got to punish us or be punished. And yet when we come as repentance, I'm not saying there's not consequences of actions in life. That's life. And I'm not saying there's not legal recourse. If you all go break some laws, things are going to happen. Trust me. But I'm saying in your life, when you choose to repent and come before God and lay it at his feet and give it to him and submit your heart, there is always and only transformation and celebration. That's the God we, see, we serve. That's how grace works, if you didn't know that. See, the grace of God gives you full access. If you're writing notes, write that down. The grace of God gives you full access. Not works, never works. If you come from a tradition that tells you you got to work your way into heaven, um, I'll just take a hammer to that glass box right now and just say you cannot work your way into heaven. It's important to live your faith, but works will not give you life. That's how it works. Is that this is where the Pharisees and the religious people had the biggest problem. They're like, we're the chosen people. We followed the law. In fact, we followed the law so good, we made more laws just to prove to you, God, how holy we are. We put, like, even more stuff on us just to show you how much we love the laws that you gave us. But that's not how it works for us. And so they stood there and they went, as they, as they heard this parable, they said, God, how could we serve you for centuries and yet you let anybody in. I, and, I, and I know it's easy to be hard on them, but just think about this for a second. Just imagine going 1,500 years never tasting bacon, and then God just lets literally anybody into heaven. It's like you went, and you did the washing and the cleaning and the thing and the certain days, and you didn't eat. You can't even turn on the oven on this day. You went through the whole thing, and then God just lets anybody in, these like stray dog tax collectors, prostitutes, everybody's in. You're like, really? My family went like centuries without eating bacon, and now literally just you're just letting everyone, everyone's in now. It's like you paid to get into a concert, then they just open the doors for free. <laughs> and you're like, oh, good. No, that's cool. That's fine. But this is this moment where the brother's like, God, I worked all these years. Father, I've worked all these years. And then you just let him come back in. Ephesians 2, 4 tells us this. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, religion and reputation is not a substitute for redemption. And the religious people today thought, because I have the religion, because I got the reputation, then, I, then I'm safe. And that's not what God's talking about. See, all have fallen short. All need the grace of God. We all need redemption. We all need repentance. And in this parable, it's both the older brother 
and the younger brother that need to understand that it is not work. That just as the younger brother cannot work himself back in from servant to son, neither is the older brother somehow greater and more glorious because he's been working in the field, right? The reason that they have authority and promise and identity is the grace of the father and their, their mutual return to sonship. I love the quote about these two brothers. It says, both needed healing and forgiveness. Both needed to come home. Both needed the embrace of a forgiving father. But from the story itself, it's clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. See, the reason that any of us have access to God is grace. And no one can take that away. No one can revoke your credential. It's the grace of God. That's the term. As I've been saying credential, that is the term. That is your credential. Is the grace of God. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It cannot be worked for. It cannot be enhanced by other things. It is from God and him alone and he gave it to you because it turns out he loves you and he cares for you and he roots for you and he sent his spirit for you to empower you to great things and he has given you you full access to that. The Pharisees are like, how? how? Jesus says, because of my blood, because of my sacrifice, that's how. What's amazing, you know, if we stop at just the prodigal, we miss this part, and I think it's important, is that not only is grace of God uh, give us full access, but that God invites us to participate in the gospel of grace. God invites us to participate in it. In Luke 15, 28, the father comes and pleads with his son, the older brother, to come in. He said, come into the party. Come into what's happening. The other brother's mad. He's like, how could you give him this inheritance? And the father's going, what are you talking about? I gave you everything you have. You've been with me the whole time. You've been walking with me. You've been working with me. You've been close to me. And the older brother goes, yeah, but how? He squandered his inheritance. And he's like, great. I gave it to both of you anyways. It's my choice. And so he's urging him to come back in because he wants us to be a party, be a part of the party that's happening in the kingdom. Not a grouchy outsider. He wants us to be inside what's happening. See, God is a big fan of take your kid to work day. Every day, God is like, I want this to be take my kid to work day. I want to work out the gospel through you in others. Like, God is like everyday rooting that you would just tell somebody about him and about Jesus. He's like, please, you, you just sing the songs. Tell people. It's like, let's go to work today. But I think many believers, were so focused inward that we stand outside of the party. When we should be focused outward, standing inside the party. Well, we're so focused on us, we're so focused on me, that we forget that part of following Jesus and being a disciple is to disciple. I've been coming to church for five years, never discipled a person, because we're still here. And I'm not there to mock you or knock you, I'm here to motivate you to look outside yourself and join in the party, because there's music and dancing and good food in here. And it's nice, trust me, it's cool. I live in here. We have 11 people over the past two weeks give their life to the Lord and begin to follow him. 
You're a part of that party when you serve at Banner Church. You're a part of that party when you step out in the grocery store and just pray for somebody who needs prayer. You're a part of the party. But here's the thing. If you just look here, you're going to stand outside. You're going to be hungry and alone. I want you here. I want you in. I want you celebrating what God wants to do. He wants to take you to work. He wants to put you in a place where you can see the miraculous happen through you at your school and at your business and in your family. He's got stuff to do through you. Hear me, church, there's more to following Christ than securing your own inheritance. There's so much more. You got to tell somebody. You got to get excited when lost people come to know him. How can you get excited if you're not even there? This is why the church struggles. Because the new people come and they get saved and they want to celebrate, but all their friends are at the lake. Oh, no one cheers for that one. quietly looking at Facebook. Uh, But this is so important. Can I tell you, again, I'm not saying there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Again, I I love to travel. I'm not getting hard on it. But I'm just saying, listen, if you want to be a part of what God's doing, he invites you to be a part. And that looks different in every season, every place, every time. That looks different in every way, in every person, in every gifting. But, man, can I tell you, when Jesus is talking to the religious people, he's just like, what? Why don't you want to just be a part of what God's doing? Yeah, I know they're messy. Yeah, I know you might host a small group and your house might not be in the exact condition that you would love it to be in. But you know what? People are coming to know God and there's more important things than your couch. And he's trying to stir it up because he wants you to participate. And I just love that there's a constant party. I love last week I drove home. We had seven people give their life to the Lord. And I just drove home. And I was just so thankful because it was honestly an okay sermon. But I was just like so thankful for the Holy Spirit. And I was just celebrating all the time. But can I tell you, that was second on the scene work. The Holy Spirit is already working. The Holy Spirit is already moving. When you meet somebody, I don't care if it's here or the Taco Bell. When you meet somebody, you're second on the scene. The Holy Spirit's already there. And it's the same spirit that lives in you that lives in them. And so God is like outside the party, like, come on, man, come on in. Like, look at what we have in here. Look at what's here. Look at what's going on. And you're like, I don't know, what if I look dumb? It's like, you look dumb standing outside. Get in the party. But I believe that as a church that God has given everyone access to the grace. Some people just don't know it yet. And if you could tell them, it would change their life. God has given everybody access. Everybody access to the Holy Spirit. Not just the hyper-spiritual. Everybody, Holy Spirit's with you. Our job is to seek, it's to welcome, it's to invite, and it's to celebrate. Because God has given grace to all of us. God has given access to all of us. Invite the band up this morning. And I'm going to end on this thought because it's important. The only thing that God asks you, like, how do, how do we get this? How do I get this pass? Do I have to sneak backstage of heaven? i got to hop the gate and then, like, finagle Peter Buy him a Quiznos, make my way back. <laughs> no. Here's the thing. There's, there's no Quiznos in heaven. <laughs> Only Chick-fil-A. <laughs> no. Chick-fil-A will be in heaven when they're open on Sundays. Here's the only thing, and it's not Chick-fil-A. Here's the only thing that the Lord asks It's the only thing that you need to get that grace, to get that wholeness, to walk in that freedom, to have eternal life. It's a repentant heart. 
Repentance always brings restoration. See, the younger brother, he repents and he's restored. The older brother does not repent and we, we don't know because it's just what the story ends. But here's what we know from Scripture is that repentance will always restore you and it restores you back to your purpose of walking with Christ, the freedom that comes through him and eternal, eternal life with him. When you repent, meaning you turn from your sin and shame and you say, you know what, I'm tired of being the God of my own life. I'm going to put you on the throne of my life and I'm going to begin to follow you. It's not perfection, it's salvation. Right? God is perfect, you're pursuing him. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all our righteousness. See, religion says all the reasons you can't have access. Relationship says all the reasons you can. And I get it. Disciplines, rules, moral underpinning, all really important. But rules do not get you eternal life. Relationship does. And this morning is the opportunity for you to say, as God is there standing, wanting to embrace you, wanting to give you access, wanting to give you an opportunity to be near and to draw near and to feel welcomed and embraced, to have not only love and hope and truth in this life, but eternal life. That's a scary thought if you don't know your eternity. If you don't know right now when you walk out this building, if you died where you would go, that's a scary thought. I'm glad I don't live with it. Because let me tell you, there is nothing more freeing than knowing the freedom and power of a new life in Christ here and for eternity. And this morning, if you choose to lay, take yourself off the throne of your life and choose to follow Christ, then you have access to the Lord. He's already given it to you. Would you stand with me this morning? I know when I say repentance, that kind of messes with people. But let me tell you, that's just what it is. If it said something different to you in the Bible, I would read you something different. But I read you this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that about the Lord. He made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, to die in our place, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. This morning, if you choose to say, in this church, if you choose to say, I take myself off the throne of my life. Some of you, you've made that choice, and you, you found yourself in the, in the pig pen a little bit, and so you need to make it again even. Say, so I take myself off the throne of my life, and I choose to follow you, God. I repent of everything in my heart. I lay it down. I turn. There's a turning of my heart and mind. And I tell you, you don't have to wait. You don't, like, get to a different level of heaven where you got to fill out some more paperwork and go to a class. Then you can have more access. You just have access to God, all the freedom, all the power of a new life in Christ Jesus from now and eternity. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if you would, with me this morning, I want to encourage you. I know, 
I know our, our life is full of things where we just want to wait and we're unsure. And so we have to constantly validate every piece of skepticism in our whole being. But hear me say there is an urgency to the kingdom right now in this place. And I believe that God is stirring it up in your heart because he does not want you to go another minute. And you do not want to go another minute without the love of God in your life. You do not want to go another minute without the purpose of God in your life. You do not want to go another minute without the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus. Some of you, you need God to do a miracle and free you from oppression and addiction and depression. Why go another minute under the weight and the burden of the lies of the enemy when this morning God wants to free you and release you and he wants to secure your eternity. You are not promised another breath from this one out for the rest of your life. And so while you breathe, make the choice to follow Jesus. And I tell you that it will do a miracle in your life and that you will experience the greatest love, the greatest hope and joy that comes through him and him alone. And this morning, if that's you and you're that person and you say, yeah, I'm not going to waste another minute this morning. I'm choosing to follow Christ. I'm choosing to pursue him. That's you. Every eye closed, every head bowed. That's you this morning. You're saying, maybe maybe it's again. Maybe it's the first time. God, I'm going to give you my heart. Choose to follow you. So once you do, just lift up your hand. Amen. Once you lift it up, you can put it back down. Thank you. Okay, one more time. I just feel like there's somebody in here. You've been vacillating on that decision. You're not sure. And now you've been around long enough that you feel like if you raise your hand, you're going to feel guilty. Maybe you even serve. But you need to come back to the Lord this morning and put him on the throne of your life. Every eye is closed. Every head bowed. This is between you and Jesus Christ. You're saying, God, I want to give my life and follow you and follow you with my whole being. I'm going to make that commitment today. I'm going to invite you to lift your hand and put it back down. pray this morning. If you raise your hand, I'm going to pray specifically for you in this moment. I'm going to pray over your life. And as we do, again, these aren't like magic words, but there is something powerful that happens when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we're told that. And so I'm going to encourage you as I pray over you to speak that and you're making a declaration of God's authority over your heart and that is powerful and that is spiritual. And so I want to pray with you this morning because we believe prayer is powerful. That you're beginning that or returning to that in the name of Jesus. For those that raise their hand, we're going to agree together. God, I thank you for every hand that was raised this morning. I thank you for every heart that has chosen to commit to you and to say, God, I choose to follow you. God, I'm not going to waste another minute of me on the throne of my life. God, I want you on the throne of my life. I desire the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ and the hope that it brings. God, I desire to come into the party and to come into the celebration and to come into the family and come into the home where I'm welcome and you bring me in and you don't condemn me. You embrace me, God. You hold me. You encourage me. And so, God, right now, for every one of those hearts, God, choose today to repent of everything, to lay it at your feet, and today to say, you are God of my life, and I follow you from now and forever. And we rejoice in the name of Jesus over every life that in this moment was secured for all eternity. And all God's people celebrated. Amen. Amen.
We're going to do one thing. One thing as we close this morning, our, our band has this uh, song, uh, All My Life You've Been Faithful, All My Life You've Been So Good, and I love this. And I felt like a little bit this morning that God spoke to me as we're talking about credentials and value is that some of us this morning are struggling with value and we're struggling with feeling that that acceptance as true sons and daughters in God. Maybe some of you, uh, you didn't have a good parental example, and so it's hard to get there in the heavenly example. But this morning as we sing about the goodness of God, here's what I'm just going to invite you. Just invite the Lord and say, God, would you just give me a revelation of my sonship? Or God, would you give me a deeper revelation of your love for me as your daughter or as your son? And as we sing of the goodness, can we just pray together and just invite him and say, God, give us a deeper revelation of who you are and who you say I am. And begin to speak your goodness to my heart. Let's worship him together.